Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here is the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today, I'm honored to welcome to the Core Principles Podcast the founder and executive director of Practical Shepherding, Brian Croft. How are you, Brian? Hey, Clay. Good to be with you. Wanted to ask you uh, first, when did you start Practical Shepherding and, and what motivated you to do that? Yeah, so Practical Shepherding really started out of my local church ministry just as a, as a pastor. I've pastored a, a church for, I've been a pastor for 25 years. I was a senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church for the last 17 years. And just plugging away with doing pastoral ministry, part of what I was doing is training uh, young guys for the ministry. And they would come to the church and I would train them in a lot of the practical side that seminary doesn't teach you, you know, like how to care for sick people and go to the hospital and how to do a funeral and how to care for widows and, and, and how to preach, how to think through caring for people. And I would take them to the hospitals. I'd take them to the funeral homes and do those things. And, and many of them started asking me to write some of these things down for them that I was teaching them. And I wasn't a writer, Clay. I actually, I was a terrible writer at the time. And so, but I started writing these things down for them and it turned it into a book and the book got published. And because there's such a need for practical resources for pastors in these areas, the, the book took off. We started a blog and called it practical shepherding. And that's really how it, how it all started. By the way, learning to write as you're writing a book is not the way to do it. Let me just say that. But you know, God was kind in, in getting a lot of uh, people to help me with that. And so that's how the ministry really took off. It was training out of our local church. And then when these needs got filled outside our church, pastors were contacting us as they get to hear about the resources. So we realized this gaping hole of practical resources and we were trying to fill it. That's really how it all started. Well, it's, it's interesting and kind of funny that uh, you've heard that necessity is the mother of invention, but mm. it's also just when things have to get done, somebody steps up and does it. And uh, mm. usually uh, when it's impossible to do, then God's the one who steps in and says, oh, I got this. But he uses us in that. And uh, I'm glad that you were willing to take that on. What yeah. would you say is the mission of your organization, Practical Shepherding? Yeah, so Practical Shepherding is that we we provide practical resources uh, for pastors and church leaders in what we call the essential and yet often overlooked areas of ministry. So again, seminaries do a great job of th- training pastors and missionaries theologically, but many times they don't teach pastors how to be pastors in the church. The local church, in my opinion, is actually responsible to be able to do that. The problem is there's a lot of churches that do not take the responsibility to do that. So what's happening is a lot of people are graduating from seminary and have been theologically trained really well, but we're not involved in their local church. We're not mentored and taught in their local church. So they, they go into ministry not as prepared as they need to be. And so uh, the, the main idea of practical shepherding is to provide those practical resources as well as to care for pastors. That's really what has morphed. This, this ministry has kind of become that. Our ministry has also evolved to care for pastors, how to, you know, pastors care for people in the church, Clay, but, but who pastors the pastors? 
And there's this, there's, there's no, there's very few that do that. And so we began to take that on. And, and obviously we've gotten a great response because of the huge need. What are from, from the layperson's perspective, like myself, um, I, I can't relate directly because I've not been through that particular battle that pastors have to go through, but what are some of the greatest needs that the pastors and the church leaders have whom you serve? Yeah. Great question. Let, well, let me start with just the, the, the normal ones, not in a COVID era, right? So yes. you, you have, uh, you have the, the, the fact that you're never, you never clock out. You're, you're available 24 seven. That's usually what wears pastors out over time is you just have to be constantly available for people. Um, you're, you have a sermon to preach regardless on how your week's gone and how you feel. And there's just a grind to this, to this work. You're caring for hurting people. And, and if a pastor, I believe does what he's called to do, he takes on the burdens of his people as he loves and cares for them. And so a pastor has his own burdens he carries in his own personal life. But then the idea is he takes on the burdens of the people he cares for. You're able to care for people well when you do that. You're able to empathize and be compassionate and be in their life. But as you can imagine, as a human being, that can become really weighty to carry all that all the time. So that that's just kind of the life of a pastor, because when you do that for years and years, add to that, many pastors don't know how to rest. Many pastors don't know how to let go and take breaks to rejuvenate their own soul. So they just kind of function on empty and they try to do this hard work while they're on empty. Then you add to that this year, all the stuff that COVID has brought. And I think most anybody listening is aware to some degree of the huge unique conflicts that's come in the church these, this last year with masks and no masks. And do we gather and do we not gather? And does the governor tell us not to, or should we, or should we go against that? Or and then you add to that the election that took place and the way that that has divided. So pastors even this year have had unique things trying to basically trying to keep the peace, try to keep people unified and loving each other and not dividing. Clay, I'm hearing all over the place of churches splitting over whether you should wear masks or not. I mean, churches are splitting over who you voted for in the election. So there there is unique challenges with pastors now. So as a lot of things have shut down this year, practical shepherding has, has just kind of exploded with with uh, people calling us in needs because of all the things that's happened. Yeah, and you talked about so many things in that very rich answer. There's a lot of different paths I'd like to pursue off of such an answer. But uh, one of the things you said about bearing burdens uh, strikes home with me. I like the passage in Galatians chapter 6. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hmm. But no one can do that themselves. And obviously, uh, all of creation, the, the creation account shows us that the, the one thing God didn't think was good was for man to be alone. Right. And I think that's a great lesson for pastors, obviously, that uh, they are not lone rangers. Hmm. Um, well, you, you mentioned, obviously, uh, th- this year, 2020, has been quite unusual and we could talk about, and I think maybe we should talk about for a little bit, the, the restrictions that have been placed on churches. I also want to talk about some of the specific things that you've been able to do for pastors and for churches in this year. Talking about the restrictions, I heard something really interesting last month. Uh, I can't recall who it was that, that gave me this pearl of wisdom, but he said, uh, the churches 
are neither non-essential nor essential. They are transcendent. The church is not part of this equation of what do we open and close. The church is the people of God doing the work of God. And uh, I've also heard from folks, uh, particularly from uh, my friends in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, that what they have found is that in some ways, this pandemic has opened up the walls of the church and let us be the church everywhere. But of course, our pastor also points out rightly that the corporate worship, being there in person, doing life with each other is still vital. So how do we balance those things, do you think, Brian? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question and, and a loaded one, right? Because there's just so many things going on to try to evaluate it. I so I, I think that there is a there's an importance to be uh, sensitive to those who are really afraid to go out and gather for church. Um, and I think at the, regardless of where you are on the spectrum, again, I think the, the tough part for pastors during this time has been because every pastor has his own opinion about this stuff, just like everybody else does. The problem is it's really hard if the, the pastor voices that opinion because his job is to try to be a mediator on both sides to try to keep them unified. And that's just that's kind of a, just war pastors out in so many different ways. I'm in a firm believer, though, that like the, the church is commanded in the New Testament to gather together. And I don't believe that is that counts online. Um, you know, I think that it's talking about us being in person. I think there are tons of things that happen when the church gathers in person from just a, a practical idea of people being together, singing and hearing each other sing. I think God uniquely works when people are sitting together and that and they all hear that same word from God in the sermon. I, I, so I think there's some spiritual components you know, around that on why it's important for the church to gather. Having said that, uh, I think it, it's been really helpful to be able to temporarily move things online when needed. I think every church is different. That's why I think it's unhelpful for anybody to make a sweeping remark about, Everybody needs to do this. No, every church is different. Every town is different. You know, the, there's a lot of surges in the virus now, but but throughout the year, there has been different rates of that. Governors are demanding different things in different states. So then you have to you have to wrestle with the do, do we obey? You know, do we obey the governor? Do we defy what the governor is asking? And how do you make those decisions? And so I think it's different for everybody. I want to be careful to come on a hard line on this is the way it should be for everybody. Uh, but I think that's the two main things pastors have to try to figure out how to keep people unified in the midst of all this in their own church. And then where's the balance between needing to try to obey government officials, which is in which is in Romans, you know, and, and that's something that Christians are to do unless. But I also think that there's a there's a strong argument around. There needs to be limitations on how much the government can tell a church on what to do and what not to do. So it's different for everybody. But, man, those have been two of the big issues that pastors are worn out trying to figure out. Well, there's a lot of wisdom in that answer, I think, Brian. There's there's balance to be found. Right. Uh, obviously, okay, so I was career military, and we learned lessons, uh, hopefully not the hard way, because the hard way to learn things is to die. Right. and. So we would study what other people had done before. And 
one of the lessons had to do with unlawful orders. And the famous example was Lieutenant Caffey, I think his name was, in Vietnam, who ordered uh, the execution of non-combatants. The mm. right response was, no, we will not do that, sir. That's not right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You've, you've touched on some of the kinds of resources uh, that you provide. How do pastors uh, gain access to those resources and, and who gets the most direct benefit from the, the resources that you provide? Yeah. So some of the main places we, we provide resources. And again, we, we kind of look at this as, as three layers of how we try to care for pastors. Let me first say this, the, the core of our ministry revolves around three areas, the pastor's soul, the pastor's ministry, and the pastor's family. So we believe to have a we have to take a holistic approach to care for a pastor. You got to care for his own soul. He's a human being with a soul and needs to be cared for like everybody else needs to be cared for. So he's got to learn how to care for himself and other people have to care for him. Uh, the pastor's ministry is the work he's doing in the church and how to do that, how to do that practical ministry. And then the pastor's family and the, the pastor's family, obviously, he has to be taught on how to care for them well through the unique challenges of, of ministry. Pastor's wife and the pastor's kids are in a fishbowl. They are under scrutiny that's unique. And so it can be, it's a special challenge to be married to a pastor and having to walk through all of that. So we focus on those three areas. And then we really try to do it in three main, three main layers. One is just a broad reach. So we have 25 books that we've, that we've written that are part of our resources. Um, and those books are, you know, we, we have about 130,000 copies of our books in print around the world. So they're all over the place. And that's been a big part of how we've served pastors. Uh, Clay, we have a podcast, you know, just so I, obviously we're on this podcast, but our podcast has has been really fruitful in, in being able to reach you know a lot of people. And then we have a website that we do articles and have all kinds of web content that people can access. So in a broad sense, that's how we can help a lot of different pastors just with different things like that. We're on social media. As it narrows, though, we do in-person training. So imagine 40, 50 pastors in a room for a day and I go and and I'm able to do a training with these same materials, but I get to do it in person. I get to meet these guys. I get to hear their stories. I get to build relationships with them and and care for them one on one. That's obviously totally different than just somebody picking up a book and reading it. And then the last one is we actually do like one on one uh, counseling and care and guidance and mentoring by pastors uh, because uh, we have pastors that are burnt out and ready to leave the ministry. We have we have pastors who you know reach out and are suicidal or they're about to, their wife's about to leave them or you know there, there's some really uh, things we would put in a crisis category. And so we have a team of people that hopefully tries to uh, we try to help them in those crisis moments. In the last couple of years, one of the big things we've added to our mix is we started an online video training that we do. And we have over 600 pastors all around the world involved in this weekly training. It's quite it's amazing watching the thing blow up like it did, but it just showed the need and how technology can bring us together. So that video cohort has almost brought all three of those pieces together, right? Because they read book, our books, but I do want, I do the training through like through Zoom and uh in person in that way, but it's obviously through technology. And then as the crisis points come up, we're able to address those. So the video cohort really brings all three of those pieces together. You have some really startling 
statistics on your website. I was looking at that just over the past several days, and one of them talked about the number of pastors or the percentages of pastors who battle depression. And you just mentioned that some of them, you know, have a real struggle with that at times. It's so important. Mental health is uh, such a key part of anyone's well-being. What do people need to know that we don't know about these kind of stressors that are affecting ministers, pastors? Yeah, appreciate that question. Um, I, I wish more were asking it because I think people would be helped to understand what I would say is a a unique strain, a unique pressure and stress pastors deal with. And I want to be careful because obviously, Clay, plenty of people, everybody has stresses in their job and their occupation, their life. So everyone is busy. Everyone has stress in their life. But what I mentioned earlier really matters in this. When you're talking about a, a human being who's a you know a sinner who needs Jesus and needs care from other people and needs others, uh, to take on your own personal burdens and then take on the burdens of a, not just one or two people, like a whole group of people, uh, creates a unique strain on a, on a human being, regardless of they're called of God, they're gifted to do this work, and all those things matter. But they're still human beings and only have so much capacity to deal with stress and pain and heartache. So depression comes in two main reasons, I find. One is uh, just the strain of dealing with all the pain and hurt and suffering of other people that you love. And so, you know, they, take the average person who has people they love who suffer and they bear those burdens. Just multiply that. And that's what a pastor lives in. He, he and, and that can cause sadness and discouragement and and lead to anxiety and and depression so just the personal suffering of other people the other side that brings a lot of depression anxiety in pastors lives is the amount of conflict and criticism and people who come after them and attack them you know clay part of my story is the first five years of the church i went to pastor there were three different movements to get me fired in the first five years uh so you know, that's a whole nother, that's a whole separate podcast, Clay. I mean, but, but to talk about what happened at, the, at our church, but then things changed in year six, but I endured five years of people after me, like legitimately trying to uh, get me fired. There were threats of physical violence on my life at different times. Every pastor doesn't go through that. Okay. That's kind of what God had for me. And, and there's a, and he had a redemptive story to come along with that. The point is, like that's an, there's an incredible strain on you, on your family, when you deal with all the criticisms, all the people who don't like what you're doing as a pastor. So they come and attack you or talk behind your back to other people. And so those are the two main areas that one, make a pastor's job uniquely hard. And two, usually leads to depression and discouragement and anxiety. I understand that, uh, that story without knowing the details. It just seems that people target those who are in leadership. And the call to pastor is obviously unique amongst leadership roles, but there are other types of leaders and they all seem to have targets and people always have a better idea of how things should be. Uh, I was a commander in one of my jobs in the Air Force and yeah. it took, I think, 10 days or two weeks before I had a complaint that was... Uh, Easily resolved, I met with the, the person involved and uh, and the person's supervisor, and we came up with a great solution. And then a few days later, I found that another organization on base 
is telling me that I must do a certain thing, which happens to be the one thing we came up with together Mm. or else. And I'm like, that's great. We already did that. And they're like, yeah, but you need to tell us and sign here that you only did it because we forced you to. I'm like, well, that's not true. (laughs) We we decided it ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's just so silly. And of course we see what happens with the people like the president. I mean, everything he does, people are like, well, that's gotta be wrong. (laughs) It's just sad. Uh, I I think it's true that uh, if you, it, it's not true that if you want something done, you have to do it yourself, but it is true that if you want something done your own specific way, you have to do it yourself. And people need to understand that people have different ways of accomplishing things. You were well, you're, making a good, you're making a good point. It's just, it's just hard to lead, right? It's hard to be a leader because you're, you're not going to please everybody. So you got to deal with all of that. And, and it's the same for, it's the same for pastors. The one difference is a leader in, in a business or, you know, even a leader in, you were talking about the military. There's a there's an authority that's wrapped up in that that you're at least able to make decisions to some degree, not all the way as you were articulating. A pastor is trying to love and care for people um, in a way that is a unique calling and and makes it hard to just kind of wield an authoritative, you know, a club to do whatever you want with it when you're trying to love and bring people along with you. Yes. Well, looking ahead. It's not always going to be like 2020, praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, what do you anticipate for churches and for practical shepherding uh, next year and in the years following? Uh, what what sort of path do you find yourself on? So let's. I'll start with what what do I expect in, in churches. I would say in the next 12 to 18 months. And there's experts more than me that are that are that are speculating about this. There's going to be a massive amount of pastors who leave the ministry in the next six months. Uh, part of that is going to be because they just can't handle anymore all that has come to them in the last year. I see churches financially struggling in a really significant way this next year. Uh, I kind of expected it to hit this year, and it didn't. It did some places, but it didn't as much as I thought. Giving has stayed up in a lot of churches. I think that's going to change in about two to three months. Uh, for a variety of reasons. So I think churches are going to have to totally reevaluate where their financial position is and how they function. Uh, I do a lot with church revitalization. So Clay, just in Southern Baptist denomination, what I'm a part of, there's a thousand churches that close every year. That was before COVID. And that number I think is going to be really significantly higher because of course, churches are shutting down because of COVID for a time, many of them aren't starting back up. So the amount of churches that actually close in the next 12 months, I think will be astounding, uh, just main denomination-wise, not just Southern Baptist. So I think we got some hard days ahead church-wise. I think from a positive standpoint, I think a lot of churches have come to appreciate more what it means to be able to gather in person to worship. I think people are going to appreciate that more. I think people got outside the walls of the church more and realized ministry is not just happening in the church but it's happening outside the church and meeting basic needs of the community and things. I think there's going to be some good ministry out of churches this next year that churches discovered, Hey, you know, this is an effective way for us to be the light of the gospel in the community. So as far as churches, that's some of the things that I'm, I'm noticing. I think there'll be some good and I think there'll be some, some hard things, but God is still just as much at work, um, which, which allows me to, to say that, Practical shepherding, uh, I just, I'm so encouraged about all that's happening. In fact, I just made a transition out of our church after 17 years. In fact, as we're recording this, Clay, I'm, I've been gone two weeks uh, from, from the church. So it's brand new 
And I am going full time with practical shepherding, really starting officially in January. And that's going to open up a ton of things for me in a way that I didn't have juggling all this. I still preached 37 Sundays a year at our church, even with the travel that I did. So I'm probably going to be preaching in 20 to 25 Sundays next year at different churches, uh, being able to develop partnerships, go to the people who have been supporting our ministry and and say thank you, being able to connect to more pastors. I'm going to travel more and be able to do more in-person ministry. So really exciting things for me next year, uh, despite the fact that that we're going to be coming out of the, the COVID year for sure. Well, that's uh, that's encouraging and also uh, startling some of the the facts that you're alerting us to uh, to be aware of. I've heard from people I trust and people who are way, way, way smarter than I uh, about the possibility of true revival happening in the United States overwhelmingly. Do you see that happening? Do you uh, think that that's a, a good hope that we have uh, and it's not just a fantasy? Well, I think it's a good hope and it's something always to pray for and, and, and long for that would happen. I think, Clay, the, the definition of what true revival will look like is different for people. So I, I, think, I think depending on how you define true revival, there, uh, there is certainly a, a possibility. I think something with all the things that have been going on uh, in this last year, uh, from, from COVID to Black Lives Matter stuff to the election to all of those things, it's stirring the church up in a, in a way that, that I do think that God could do some remarkable things. What it looks like, I'm not sure. And what somebody might expect a revival to look like, uh, I think will de- depend on whether we actually see it or not. So I know that's probably a different conversation, but to be hopeful that God would uniquely work this next year out of what's just happened, I definitely think we should have hope in that. Oh, yes. I, I always uh, try to look at the positive, um, but also recognize that uh, this world is broken and this is not uh, our forever home. So we're thankful for that too. Right. Uh, everything can be a blessing if if we have the right perspective, God's always in control. And what I've heard over and over is that he's not been surprised by anything that's happened. Uh, all of this chaos, he saw it coming. Uh, he's not surprised and he's got the answer. He is the answer. So right. hopefully uh, listeners can take hold of that truth. That's the great thing about truth. It never changes. A lot of people reject that reality, but that is such an important reality. Uh, we have that unchanging objective truth and we can count on it. So right. that's, that's really great. It, well, clear that that truth is what allows us to have confidence that God is just as much at work building the church and building his kingdom, even when we don't see maybe what that looks like, but the truth allows us to know that that will continue regardless on what's happening this year, or next year. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Brian Croft. Appreciate you. Appreciate practical shepherding. Uh, maybe uh, when you're doing more travel, you can get to Paducah, Kentucky. It's just about three hours from you there in Louisville. That's right. And uh, we're cheering you on up there. Louisville's got a lot of great ministries, by the way, doing the work that you were talking about. Uh, and so I'm encouraged by that as well. Louisville's been, unfortunately, in the headlines for a lot of wrong reasons this year. But there are a lot of faithful people doing a lot of uh, God's work right there in your city. Um I couldn't agree more and appreciate being on. It's uh, been great to talk to you, Clay. All right. Take care and God bless. 
Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.